Hello, Oasis. What up? Yes. <laughs> we are back with episode three. Pretty excited. Mm-hmm. We are diving into a topic on what does it mean to be called to ministry? And when we ask this question, we just want to lay um, a framework real quick. We're looking at two sides of the conversation because there's one side where we do have people that are called to vocational ministry full time in the local church. We also have a whole body of people that are called to a life of living out the Great Commission and making more and better disciples. And so today we're focusing just on that first part, just on the vocational side of working in the local church. Next week, we'll be looking at, all right, I'm not called full time, but what do I do? So just kind of kicking off our episode today, what was your call to ministry like? You want to go first? You got it. Oh, you want me to go first? I trust you. <laughs> he just wants to copy my story. I'm going to say everything that he's going to say. He's going to rip word off what I word. But I guess I go first. So, yeah, I first felt called when I was a senior in high school. Uh, I that I had just really gotten serious in my faith, and I attended this youth group where I loved the pastor, and I really liked his teaching style and who he was as an individual. And so I remember sitting there one Wednesday night watching him preach, thinking to myself, I want to do that. Like I, I remember through this sermon, I have no idea what the sermon was about, but I can vividly remember this peace and this like feeling that came into me that was like, this is what I'm supposed to do as I watched him preach from the mm-hmm. stage. But I was a senior in high school, and so when youth group ended that night, I went out into the, the foyer area, and we started playing nine square and gaga ball and tag and <laughs> flirting with girls, you know, all, all the things you do in youth group, and it quickly disappeared, right? I was like, oh, I was tripping, right? Like, I was crazy. I was just thinking thinking things, right? And so I didn't pursue that. I didn't tell anybody about it. I just kind of wrote it off. Yet over the next two and a half years, those moments kept coming back to me. And over and over and over again, I would find this clarity in what God was calling me to, but never really have the courage to step into it. And eventually I was here on a Sunday morning. I heard Steve Norby, the, the lead pastor here at Grace Point, um, give his testimony of his call into ministry. And it sounded very, very similar to what I was experiencing. And I broke down in the service and I left that and I knew I knew I was supposed to be a pastor and I knew I was supposed to shepherd people in a local church. And there's been moments since then where I've still doubted it or there's been obstacles, absolutely. But that was my defining moment. You, Emily, I want you to go. Yeah, so um, I was called to ministry at a follow conference, which is this huge youth convention that happens around New Year's. And I was sitting next to my older brother And my brother, Jared, had already expressed that he felt called into ministry. And so I'm listening to this message and they're like, if you feel called to ministry, please come up front. And like my stomach just drops. And I'm just like, I bet it's because I'm sitting next to Jared. And so Jared goes up. You thought you were getting like a secondhand call? Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was feeling like the after effects or something. Like it was just overflowing. The spirit was so palpable on him. It was just (laughs) just bleeding over to you. The overflow. Hey, in the moment, it made sense. (laughs) When I look back on it now, I'm like, you are nuts. Um, yeah, so I watched Jared go up and I remember going back to like the hotel that night and I had this feeling that I was disobedient and not in a sense that like I had sinned or anything, but that I hadn't fully stepped into what God had for me. And so I kind of talked to my youth pastor and somehow like the district superintendent was also in the room when I said this. And so he's in charge of like all the churches in Kansas. And I said, hey, I think I'm called to ministry. And they're like, yeah, we think you are too. And um, that was it was really nice to have that confirmed, but I didn't really know what it looked like to be in ministry. And my home church, I love them so much. There was not a lot of female leadership that I got to see growing up other than a children's pastor who was female. 
I never got to see a woman leading in mm. like a leadership capacity in the church. And so I didn't know what type of way that I could enter the church. So I ended up going to IWU to study worship ministry. And it was kind of there where I realized I didn't want to do worship. Mm. And the Lord just kind of kept opening doors for me. He found me in a way that I could lead youth ministry. And then that kind of brought me here. And it's still like, I don't know my specific role in the church, but I know that like I'm called to be here. That's good. Yeah. Uh, mine came on a mission, tri- Oasis mission trip to New York City. Shout out. Shout out Oasis. It's a good ministry. Um, but it, it was a spring break mission trip going to New York. Um, I, in the season, of, I was in a season of life as a sophomore uh, in college of like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Like I, I grew up, no identity, no purpose. I've literally like declared three different majors my first semester in college because <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. You were here. I was just, I was out, not, you were home. here for a good time. Like I was not home and maybe a long time. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Inside jokes. Um, so for me, it was just like, I just live in life. Ultimately my purpose in that season was just how do I be a follower of Jesus? So went on this mission trip. It was awesome. And one morning Rick, who was the, the pastor of Oasis at the time said, all right, we are in the subway. We are going to what's called the Bowery mission in New York city. Mm. One of the oldest soup kitchens in New York city where like before they fed you and gave you a meal, you had to be a part of a church service. So we okay, were okay. a part of being able to lead that church service and we're on the subway to the Bowery mission. And Rick comes over, he sits by and goes, you're going to give the 10 minute talk. Uh, and sermon, uh, devotional at that the is, service. That is the last time you pooped your pants. I, I peed a little, <laughs> <laughs> and not the last time. <laughs> you brought it up. Um, and so I'm in my head, I was like, I don't, what does that mean? Because, again, I'm a follower of Jesus for a year and a half. I'm just figuring out what it looks like. I'm really passionate about Jesus and want people to know Jesus. But I was like, I don't know what this means. It's like, so I literally on subway, I opened my Bible and he goes, I think their like theme of the month is on courage. And I go, Oh, I've read a Bible passage about courage once and opened to Joshua. Yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in that moment of sitting on subway, I read the verse and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and wrote two things down and we get into the service and I help lead worship with my best friend. So we do, we do worship through music. You were on double time. I was double time. Wow. I was double time. So we did worship through music um, Rick prayed and then I opened the Bible and this is the second t- time in my life where I have 15 minutes that I don't remember what happened. And I open the Bible, I read the passage and there's 15 minutes of my life gone. Wow. The other time was when I was got driven to the church to give my life to Jesus yeah, at Oasis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so this happened and I got done and I like prayed and sat down and everyone services ended. People are going to the, to go get their food. And Rick looked at me and goes, you know, that's what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. Right. Mm. And I just in that moment was a clarity of like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think this is it. And then over the next few months, it was a very clear as I served in youth and just was doing what I was already doing. It just became really clear. Like, yeah, this is absolutely what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life mm-hmm. in whatever capacity it looks like. I'm supposed to be in the local church and help pastor people. That's awesome. Yeah. So incredible. Yep. I think one of the really cool things that happened at Oasis in the fall semester was that we had a handful of students that have been wrestling with this question of what does it look like to be a full-time vocational pastor? And I kind of just want to ask this first upfront question. What is the role of a vocational pastor? Yeah. It, well, the way we're going to answer this is we're going to give you lots of different specific pieces of a Mm -hmm. role because that's the beauty of the local church is it shouldn't rest all on the shoulders of one person. And there are some local small churches where one person has to wear 
countless amount of hats. hats. But even then, those are the places where they still need core volunteers and other peoples to help them do what God has called them to do in that context. And so here at Grace Point, we have many different pastors doing lots of different specific things. So we'll give you general ideas and we'll point out some specifics. But ultimately, the beauty of what God does is he calls unique people for unique situations to do unique things. Mm -hmm. And so your specific call might not look exactly like something we lay out, but it looks like in the local church doing some kind of vocational job, vocational meaning paid job. Yep. So there's, well, and there's a book that we all know called uh, a call of a lifetime. And he says, you're called like, once you have this understanding of being called into full-time vocational ministry, you're called into ministry. Like that is your calling. And then there's just different seasons of life that you have a leading is what he talks about. So that's what there's specific things. I like to think of it like this is like, what is the role of a vocational pastor? I think of a faithful steward and shepherd. And so Titus one talks about like the, the, almost this role of the elder or leader of the pastor, their role is to be an overseer. And that Greek word literally is a steward of God's resources and God's people. So the pastor is one who doesn't own the church, not the pastor's church ever. The pastor is one who's been called into a vocational role and job to be able to resource or to be able to steward well, to take care of God's people and God's resources. And he does it in different ways. So, and one way he does it is by being a shepherd, First Peter 5, right? Uh, called to be a shepherd. You, he says to the elders in the church, uh, you are called to be the shepherding of people, shepherd the flock among you. Uh, and then he goes on to say, you do that underneath the chief shepherd who is Jesus. Again, we, don't, we are not, not owners, stewards, and shepherds. I think you can jump really quickly into the Ephesians 4 list yeah. of when Paul is writing to the Ephesus church about the, need, the the giftings of the people in the church. And when you see the giftings, the beauty of what God does is he gifts his church to meet the needs of the church. And so when you're looking at what a pastor does, look at what God gave them to the, the ability to do. Yeah. And so when you see apostles, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds. Yep. Get the, pastors, yeah. Pastors, yep. yeah. Whew, that was good. That was good. Uh, you know, sometimes I mix up those five. <laughs> yep. There's lots of lists in the Bible, but but each one of those is a gifting God has anointed people with through his spirit to be able to do things in his church. But you can see even in those five, mm-hmm. Ben, you typically talk about this house example, right? Yeah. Where like that's a really beautiful picture of like, okay, your uh, evangelist is oftentimes going to go and reach people to get them excited about what God is doing in the church. Mm-hmm. So that's part of what it means to pastor is you have to be able to bring passion and vision and excitement. You got to get people on board. Like, we don't need churches just filled with people who aren't excited about what God's kingdom yeah. is and doing. And don't know Jesus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then you also have like your your, your teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Your person who's going to equip those people and teach them. So when you look through your biblical uh, examples, right, you you will find people that God has raised up to educate them on what it looks like to follow God and live in a relationship with him. You even see it in Moses way back in Exodus where he has the law, but he must then read and teach the people what the law is. And you can go through that entire list and see different ways that a pastor might step into leading a local church context. That's really good. Maybe going to the more practical side of things. So that's the role of a pastor. And a lot of it is shepherding and caring. But what does this look like in our day-to-day operations at the church here? I think you, again, it's contextual, depending on what you've been hired to do. And it's based on what your leadership has asked you to do, or if you're the leader, what you've decided is the vision and where you're going to go. But a lot of it is just being with people, encouraging people, teaching people, walking with people, leading people in worship, um, being prayerful for people, even when you're not proximity to people, seeking God, hearing God's voice, uh, studying his word. We, we like to use this idea of like, we, we believe if we're called into vocational ministry as pastors, we've used this language as what does it look like to lead 
and, and pastor in a way that is, again, the word I use was shepherd. Mm. So what does a shepherd do? And this is what we've That's come good, to know. Yeah. A shepherd knows his people. Yeah. Like, do you know your, do you know this, the, we, we, we use the language of, do you know the story, struggle and striving of your people? Do you know their story? Uh, and so there, there's an aspect where a shepherd knows his people well. Um, there is a protection aspect of, and some of that comes alongside of, okay, if I understand where God is not just leading us, but has us to protect aspects of our people as a pastor, you need to come alongside and protect them. So it's, it's protecting them. Yes. Or maybe it's false teaching. Maybe it's from wolves who try to come into the midst of the flock and try to steal away. And so yeah. there's aspect of protection. Um, so there's knowing protecting, there's leading. Like we believe that God has given us vision and direction and guidance. And in that we guide the people, uh, in that. And then there's teaching, which yeah. we talked about a little bit is it's, it's in all that has to come from scripture and what mm-hmm. that looks like, but you're teaching uh, in a lot of different ways. And so like specific, those are specifics and how that happens then is a lot Man, I, I, I know through one-on-ones and through small group, I teach through, yes, maybe on the stage, but also in organic conversations passing through the hall. Sure. On podcasts. On, on, on podcasts. Yeah. So it's like the method in which it happens is can change, and that's what's beautiful. And that comes through gifting and personality and stuff. But also it's like I think every pastor, no matter role, should be a shepherd. It's what that looks like changes just based off, like you said, your leading in context. For sure. And. You asked two questions there. One, like, what does it mean to be a pastor? And then two, what does that actually look like? Do you answer different or add anything to either of those two? I think I would agree with Ben. Like, being a shepherd is kind of this umbrella thing. And especially, like, at Grace Point, we're a large team. So we each pick up different tasks and things that we need to do in order to serve the people of Brookings well. And so for Brennan and I, like, we're focused on 18 to 25-year-olds. Brennan is focused a lot on teaching, on leadership development um, for all of our leader meetings. And I'm more focused on, all right, how do we get people to come to events? What are we doing Sunday night with volunteers? What are we doing in small groups? And so Brennan and I each do different tasks and opportunities, but it's still all umbrellaed under shepherding. That's good. Yeah. Super good. All right. So that's kind of just our basic definition of vocational ministry and what we do in the church. Um, But what are some different ways that God can call a person to ministry? Yeah, and you've heard our three stories. Yeah. So yes. even there, there's different aspects. And so what's beautiful about this, what we want to hit at home is like, they are different ways. Mm-hmm. There's not a one like black and white way in which you are called into vocational ministry. So one, we look at the the, the story of Paul, uh, who was formerly Saul, and go. his Damascus, Damascus Road experience where Jesus literally shows up, blinds him and says, you are actually going to be the one who's going to preach my gospel and my word to the Gentiles. And then he had to wrestle with that, whatever that looked like. But like, that is a very clear, like Paul knew exactly what he was supposed to do with his life from that moment on. So some people have that kind of moment. Yeah. And and I think a lot of people long for that moment. Assume that's how it's supposed to happen. Or assume, right. They either really like, so my call is one of progression, right? It, It happened. And then slowly over time, God changed my heart and put people in my life and made me the person who was going to be able to accept the call. But when I talk, you know, like sometimes I wish day one, four years before that, where I didn't waste this time, God would have, but I don't think I would have been able to handle that. I don't think it would have let, let, led me into the, the right, I wasn't in the right spaces. I wasn't right the wrong, around the right people, excuse me. Like God is sovereign in the way that he calls us each uniquely and he knows exactly what we need. And so I needed a progress. I needed him to plant the seed and then let me squash it and then plant it and plant it and water it and, and cultivate it. And eventually it would grow. So yeah, there's the progression um, and I think in the progression, the beauty is the affirmation you find along the way. And in all of these, you need affirmation on the other side of it. But when, when you, when that was first spoken to me in a pew as an, an a 17 year old by myself, I didn't have the confidence or courage to make that call. And even when I was a 20 year old sitting in a pew here at Grace Point, hearing that same thing, 
on my own, I still don't think I had the confidence Mm. to really, really stand in that. What God did in his kindness is he then brought people into my story for the first time to affirm what he'd always been speaking to me alone. And so part of my progress is God had he brought it to me time and time and time again, and then he brought it to other people. Yep. And when those two aligned, that's where I yeah. finally made my progressive moment that's and good. accepted it. I think, awesome. yeah, the most common type of calling we've heard of is progressive. And I think a lot of it deals with like, huh, I think I'm called into ministry. And so we plug people into ways that they can serve and practice using their gifts in the local mm-hmm. church. Yeah. And I think it's through that experience uh, people, different pastors and different leaders will see a person practicing these gifts and affirm them or find other opportunities for them to practice. And like that progression just keeps growing and growing. Yeah. I've never seen or heard of someone who has had an inward call that's not been paired with an outward. Yeah. And by what I mean is what yeah, you guys talk about, the inward of understanding, I believe I'm called to ministry, mm-hmm. but then the affirmation that comes along with the, being a part of the community and the body. Yeah. Yeah. Both. And- everyone. And it's, and I love the way that we've talked about this is because one starts on the inside, but it also can start on the outside. Absolutely. Right. So you have, okay, for me, God spoke it to me and then he affirmed it by the local church. But what if, and and this happens in situations where the local church sees something in you and they say, Hey, I I see this gifting. I see that you're good at this and God has equipped you with this and you have this ability. And so they start to sow the seed. And then the lag would be your heart starts to match what people have been telling you Mm -hmm. for however amount of time. And so like, yeah, that's the church leading. I feel like that's a little my story. I was too insecure to think I could be a pastor. Mm. I was too hung up on my past and where I came from. And the things that I had done, I was still wrestling with some of that stuff in my own walk with Jesus yeah. to think there's no way he could use me so prior, to be a shepherd and pastor of people. Prior to that moment with Rick, you never, 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 never. Okay. I was like, there's no way this is, Yeah, I just wanted to serve and love on people. Yeah. Like I was a part of serving in Oasis and crew and the youth group. And I was like, I, and some of it again, it comes back to like, yeah, I'm in college. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And in that moment, it didn't matter for me because I was literally trying to figure out what it looked like to follow Jesus. Yeah. Literally, that's what it was. So I was just involved in everything. It never crossed my mind. Yeah. Ever. I think another option we can talk about is that open door idea where, and that even is a little bit of yours too, yeah, right? Been, <laughs> I think you're, Ben's in all of these, but the open door is there was a, there was an opportunity. Yeah. You did it. And yeah. in that God met you yeah. and it wasn't Damascus, but it was, I mean, it's, it's a powerful moment clear. that yeah, stepped in and, sure. and it led to another opportunity yeah. with other, other yeah. teaching, other preaching or other internships or, yeah. I mean, being an interim as, youth pastor here. For at sure. you know, yeah, like, dude. As, a, as, as clear as it was in that moment. Yeah there was still aspects I needed post that moment of progression in the call of affirming in the church of like, Oh yeah, this is actually what God's doing. And like, yeah. I think everyone has that. Well, and for, because, because reality is the enemy, if you're really called in the vocation was any called to anything, whatever you're supposed to be doing, whatever God's asked you to do to be obedient to that, the enemy's going to want to distract you and distort that in some way. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part about this is anytime we're trying to discern God's voice, we're both, the enemy is also speaking. Anytime God has plans, the enemy has contrary plans. He wants nothing but to see God's plans fail. And so not all of these, like if you're feeling some of this, it's still a process of discerning. Yes. You can't you can't just listen to the podcast and say, you know what, I've thought about being a pastor, so I think I'm supposed to be yeah. it. Right? Yeah. You got to discern that still. Yes. Don't, don't just start, don't just quit college or yeah. drop, quit your job or like, you got to discern that. Or mm-hmm. if someone has come to you at one point and said, hey, you're a really good speaker. Have you ever thought about preaching? Yep. And you're like, that's it. Yep. I'm done. I'm going to be right. No, no, no. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. God's not in a rush, right? We're going to figure this out as we slowly discern it together. Yes. And then we take steps of faithfulness in that direction. Uh, yeah. So gotta be, we got to be discerning in it too. That really hits on our next question. Like how do we discern that voice? Got to test it. Y- yeah. Yep. You have to test yes. it with his word. Yeah. Right. And y- you have to test, test it with his word, test it with others and test it with your heart. Yes. 
Like when you, when you look at his word, right, you're going to have to look to see, okay, are the things that he is asking me, I feel like he's asking me to do, are they alignment with the way that he has moved before, mm-hmm. right? And the way that he has called people before and the way that he has equipped his church before, the way that he's led people before, like all of these different ideas, you have to discern it with others. Yeah. Right? Every one of our stories is, hey, God was speaking this to yep. me and we brought it to this pe- person mm-hmm. and they helped us process that as they knew us. But you also have to check your own heart. Yep. There is, there's a book out there, it's by Chuck DeGroat called When Narcissism Comes to Church. And there's other books like it where leadership is something that's easily corrupted. And the church is a place where there's lots of leadership. You're going to have to steward and have opportunity over people. And so in sometimes in your heart, you might just want the things pastoring brings, and you might not actually want to be a pastor. And so you got to check your heart. you got to be willing to ask yourself the tough questions. Why do I want this? Do I want this because it's going to give me platform, because it's going to give me influence, because it's going to give me mm. power or authority? Or do I want this because God has called me to this, and I really want to love and serve people? Yep. I think one of the reasons why I love my home church from Kansas so much is that they were so excited when Jared and I were called to ministry. Jared's my older brother. Um, And I think part of it was that they never really had a lot of youth students feel called to Mm. ministry. They had a couple before us, but they just wanted to make sure that we felt loved and encouraged and had opportunities to serve and grow. And so I would frequently get to lead worship on Sunday mornings and be part of a worship team. And like the leadership of youth was celebrated. And this is why I love that local church. Um, And we actually now have more students in that youth group that feel called to ministry all of the time because they're being allowed to serve and lead. And when I think of how do we discern God's voice, I think the local church is so powerful and so pivotal. And I think this is also a reminder for us as members in the body of the local church to make sure that we're discerning what God is doing when we see leaders on the stage or even leaders in the lobby or leaders that aren't even on the stage and just making sure that we're calling out those gifts and encouraging them. That's good. That's so good. Yeah, agreed. So maybe the next question here is, all right, I've been called, but I'm maybe still a student. Maybe I don't know what to do next. I'm not quite a pastor. I'm not employed by the church. What should I be doing in the meantime? The very first thing I tell someone, if they come up to me and say, like, I feel like I'm called to ministry. I say, okay, where are you serving right now? Literally like, because if they're not yet involved, there's a, there's something there. There's a reason why Yeah, for sure. There's absolutely a reason why. So it's like, all right, where are you serving? What's that like? How's that been? And if you're not, why is that? And just start to ask a bunch of questions. I have this job. Because I was serving. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I started yep. when I was in college. I got here. I was pas- just like you. I was passionate about loving people. Being So I jumped into Oasis, and yeah. I started. And I, I was on the leadership team the first second that I could be. Mm-hmm. Like, there was no hesitation for me. This was exactly what I wanted. And it was in those moments where I started to meet the pastor yeah. who offered me my first internship. But when I became an intern, I was serving at Oasis. I saw there was a need within our youth group for adult volunteers. And so I started serving at youth. Yeah. Little did I know the youth pastor would get promoted to be the family ministry pastor, and he would offer me my first residency. Yeah. But he did that. He told me, he said, the only reason I want you to be our first resident here at Grace Point is because I've seen you serve before you have title. Yep. And so I started as a volunteer in two places and I went through that residency program and now I sit here as the pastor today, but it started yep. six, seven years ago when I was just willing to serve and do whatever was asked yep. of me. Yeah. And I think that's an aspect for me to be able to affirm a little bit that people who say they're called is there. You should not think that you're called to ministry if you don't love people or, or want to work with people. That's what we do. Yeah. It literally is what is. we do. And so a part of that and evidence of that is where are you serving? Where are you involved in? How are you meeting, serving, loving on people? Yeah. yeah. And not even the, I mean, all types of people. Oh. Right? And that's what, it, it's easy to love easy people. It is. But like, I, I just keep thinking of this analogy. It keeps coming back to me. Like a doctor spends most of his time at work with sick people. 
a pastor spends most of his most of his or her time at work with with spiritually dead people, spiritually broke people. And that's that's a reality to being pastor. You're going to spend your time around brokenness. Yep. You're going to spend your time around people who are carrying heavy th- heavy things and walking through hardship and struggling with their faith. And and there are absolutely moments where you get to hang out with the best, most amazing sure. people, but the hard stuff comes with it too. And yep. so you got to sign There's up for There's got to be a it. willingness to that. Like in your heart is there a willingness to be with all kinds of people. And this is not an introvert extrovert thing. No. This is not a have yeah. to get energy from people. This is a do I have a love for people. Yeah. And those are very two different, two very for different sure. things. Absolutely. And I think we also need to learn from how we serve. Mm. I think we need to be not trying to puff ourselves up with knowledge, but I think that part of this process of being called into ministry is learning um, how God raises leaders and how God uses leaders. And one of the most transformational things for me in my call to ministry was studying the different leaders of the Bible mm. Because mm. I think like growing up in kids' church, I was like, man, Moses is so cool. And then you study him and like he is incredibly insecure, has a speech impediment. Yeah. And I think it's in studying these leaders that That's we learn cool. like it is nothing that we honestly bring to the table, mm. but it is all all of God. It's yeah. all his spirit that is totally. being used in us for his purposes. And I think part of serving is learning where we're weak and allowing God into those weak spaces That's so cool. that he can use us. Yeah, and if you want to know what it looks like to serve in some way, shape, or form, I mean, there's, yeah, there's specific mission you can follow. I like to use, and I think I've said this with you before, uh, the acronym FAT. Okay. Be faithful, available, and teachable. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely. mean, like, like there's a choice you can make in each three of those things. Mm-hmm. Like, to be, what does it look like to choose to be faithful and in, in whatever you said you're going to do, but yeah. what is asked of you, how can you continually be available? Like for some reason, those who are, I don't know who's, is it Bob Goff who says one of the greatest things some either leaders or pastors can do in loving people is just be available. Mm. Um, and then teachable. Like yeah. you can choose to be teachable and don't ever lose being teachable. Well, and I would advise, I would, I would ask to be invited in. Now that's, 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 that's bold, di- but that's good. different, yep. different than ask to have a seat at the table. Those are two different things. You need to talk about right. that. Yeah, you need to you, you know, that. because there's, there's young people where you're going to feel a call into ministry and your call into ministry should come with passion, right? When God has called you to something that first, like when you accept that, you're like, man, there should be this. I want to change the world. I want to make a difference. I want to build the kingdom. I want to change people's lives for the glory of God. Yet in that, the unbridled passion sometimes pushes us to, Arrogance is a tough word, but just not wisdom. And we can jump into situations where we go to pastors and we say, hey, I would, I would do this and I would do this and I would do this and I would change this and we should preach about this and we got to go to this place. We got to pick up this event. We got to be focused on this thing because that passion unbridled, not coupled with wisdom or experience will launch into to the many things. So I would say, go to that pastor and say, hey, I'm experiencing this call. Is there a way I could shadow you? Yeah. Is there a way I could sit with you as you plan a sermon? Is there a way I could attend that meeting and just have a chair in the corner? Because most of what pastors do happens behind the stage. Yep. It doesn't. It happens not where you can see it. There are there is thirty five minutes on a Sunday night. I stand in front of people. There are forty four other hours that I do not work from the platform. So if you want, come shadow me. Let's hang out. Let's see what I actually do day in day out, and see if you're still interested in something like that. But when you show up. You don't need to pitch me your 14 nope. most amazing ideas yep. that you think we need to change, right? You need to just show up and learn mm-hmm. and sit and, and soak for a bit. That's good. So how do we handle discouragement when we are called to ministry? Because discouragement will come. What are ways that we can handle it? Yeah, I mean, I, I will, one for sure for me was, in what way did I receive affirmation of my call? And then keeping those reminders in some way. So like, 
continuing to have our conversations with the person who said to me, Hey, this is what you're supposed to do the rest of your life. And coming back to like, okay, why do you see this? When I was very discouraged and when spiritual attack was happening, when I kept telling myself or the thought kept, kept creeping in my head, like, no, you're not good enough for this. There's no, you know who you are. You know where you came from. You can't do this. So going to the person who saw that continue that aspect of community, having those people like continue to going them and asking them just certain questions and aspects and what they're seeing in me that either some aspects of truth of like, yeah, I probably need to fix this thing. Uh, yeah, you probably need to start stop believing that lie and living yeah. into the truth. But I have those people who I could go to and trust them because of their own walk with Jesus mm-hmm. who could speak in that into me. You have to remember. Yeah. One of the values we hold as a staff here is that of called is because what a pastor does is holistically taxing, right? There is not only a spiritual weight, but there's an emotional weight. There's a, there's a relational weight. There's often a physical weight of the the work that we do. And so as you walk into that call, you're going to experience all of those different things. You're going to feel heaviness from the enemy. You're going to feel physical fatigue as you're doing studies or serving in that ministry. You're going to feel relational buffers and, and, and struggles as people around you, maybe family members or friends, don't ex- don't understand what you're called into. And all of those things are right. You have to come back to those moments that you remember God speaking to you. I can't even imagine how many times Paul sitting in the jail cell thought back to Damascus when he fell off that horse and couldn't see. Like I part partially and this may this this is a take but like partially I think Paul has that moment because of the severity of what his calling would look like. Yeah. Paul finds himself in situations that I hope to never even slightly like glance. Like, I, I don't want anything to do with Paul's call. Like, that is really, really, really tough stuff. But he had a moment that was very, 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 very clear mm-hmm. that God had called him. And so in the hardship of what he was walking through, he was able to remember back to this pivotal. It wasn't like, oh, did God say that? Like, he found his butt on the ground and his eyes closed <laughs> for a season because that's how much God needed him to just be able to remember his call. My first year of college, like, one of the things we had to do in the School of Theology and Ministry was like almost every week you had to tell someone how you were called to ministry. So good. And my first year I was like, this is awful. Like <laughs> no one cares at this point. Mm. But when I look back on that now, like I can say it and, and almost like it's been memorized, which is okay. But then there are moments in serving in ministry where like, God, this is hard. Mm. This is not fun. Yeah. And I just get to think back without even trying to remembering how God spoke to me and remembering that his word was true and that even when I'm questioning like the circumstance that I'm in, I'm standing on the foundation of how God spoke to me and I'm standing on his truth. It's good. What would you say um, discouragement wise, how do we combat discouragement on the spiritual warfare front? I I think you have to renew your mind. You have to surround yourself with people. You have to stay rooted in his word. You, you should be absolutely deeply, deeply committed to a spiritual community. Yep. You have to do the fundamentals really, really, really well as you practice and walk out this call. And if you do those things, God's faithful and he will guard you and he will protect you and he will help you to do what he's called you to do. But you have to do the basics of what he, what he's laid out for this life. Mm -hmm. That's good. I agree. The enemy is not more powerful than your father. No. So if you do what your father has asked of you, you're going to be okay. And that doesn't mean it won't come with heart. Like it's going to come with temptation and struggle, but God is faithful and he he can provide an abundance to what he's asked you to do. Maybe to wrap up here real quick, what is a piece of advice you would give to the person that feels called to vocational ministry? Be patient. Uh, I think we talk about Paul's call to ministry. What we don't talk about is the three years he waited and learned from the disciples before he started preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. 
Like we just assume he immediately did it. And this is a guy who was highly educated, who had leadership skills, who knew how to speak and communicate publicly. And he waited three years and was patient, knew exactly what God called him to do, was patient and, and learned because he needed to. Um, the disciples were with Jesus every day for three years learning. And they even themselves had aspects of the entire Torah memorized. So educationally, they had some things already. And so I think we get this call sometimes in the day and age that we live in. It's, I need to jump in to do this immediately. And that's true. But what does it, what that looks like doesn't mean immediate ministry position. Yeah. What is the education, the experience that you need to step into to be patient in before you just say, yeah, this is it. Now I got to go do it immediately. Mm-hmm. I remember the quote where it's like your 20s are waiting, your 30s are learning, your your 40s are practicing, your 50s are mastering, and then your 60s are when you're really excelling. That it's when you're in your 60s that you're in your prime in ministry because you have decades of experience and knowledge behind you, which as a 25-year-old, I'm like, <laughs> right? I feel like I need some of that yeah. still for sure. I would say go back against what are the often negative cultural narratives about pastoring. What kept me so long from accepting my call were these cultural ideas that pastors aren't respected, Mm. that pastors don't make enough money, that pastors have to commit their entire holistic life to the church and get no privacy and no freedom. Mm. That like there was just these, there was these lies that I think were painted sometimes by the church, right? That is, we make jokes like, ha ha, broke pastors or like, oh, worked 70 hours this week. You know, like there's these jokes, but like. I believed some of those and they really kept me from being obedient for a period of time because I didn't want those things. Mm. Pastoring is an incredible joy. Mm. One of the things that changed my life when I first accepted that call is I always was told, do what you love, do what you love. Right. Have you guys heard that? Like when you work your career and there was nothing in my life that I could look at and say, I love that. Mm. I didn't love science. I didn't love math. I didn't love history. I didn't love business. I, I, I got an economics degree. I got a communication. I didn't love those things. For the first time in my life, I looked at something and said, I love that. Mm. I can do that. And every day since, I can look at this and say, I love this. It is the best job in the world. And it has brought me so much joy. And my family is healthy. And my bank account is fine. And my, you know, my schedule is open. And I have freedom and flexibility. I just, there's so many narratives out there that this is a terrible job. And they're wrong. It's hard. Yeah, there's a difference. Any job is hard, but it is beautiful. It's so amazing to be able to lead and build for God's kingdom. To have a forefront seat in what God is doing in people's lives. Oh my gosh, what a gift. I think for me, one of the, I don't know who I heard it from, but it's a quote I hold to a lot, that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And for me, it's just a reminder that I don't have to work my way and and make myself worthy of the call, but that God has already done that if he has called me. Yeah, I've heard yeah. I've heard it said he's he's equipped you, he is equipping you, and mm-hmm. he will equip you. Wow, that's good. Like so he's equipped you for where you're at right now. He's equipping you for where he's leading you. And when you get there, he's gonna continue to do that. Yeah. That's so hard though, because oh, we live super so, hard. We live so far in the future, right? Yes. Right. You're sitting there now listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah. thinking, Well, how am I gonna plan a church one day? It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, like don't don't worry about how you're gonna plan a church or how you're gonna lead that mega church or how you're gonna lead that worship team. Mm-hmm. Like, don't worry about those things now. Like be faithful to what God has called you to right now and he'll he'll equip you when he calls you to those yep. things. That's good. Well, we had a fun this discussion fun. today. This, is, great. this yeah. is a good one. Yeah. 
And we will continue next week with a look at, all right, how, how do we live out the Great Commission yeah. to make more and better disciples? Yeah, and if you are wrestling with the call of ministry, just reach out to Emily and Brennan. Yeah, absolutely. Seriously, like, like reach out. I mean, absolutely. we've probably like, had seven or eight conversations this fall with mm-hmm. people who are, and some of them are, and some of them aren't. Yes. And, and so feel free to yeah. come to us wherever you're at in the journey because ex- yeah, we, we are not interested in our agenda. Yep. We are interested in God's glory in yep. your good. Yep. And so we will combine those two things to help help you discern where God is leading you. Next week, part two. Part, part two. Everyone is called to do ministry. Let's go. Interesting. Just <laughs> on that. Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Bye. See ya.